This podcast is brought to you by WYSO. A warning, this episode includes descriptions of sexual violence. When I moved to Ohio last year, I kept hearing about human trafficking, about people being coerced into sex work and labor against their will, and that Ohio is supposedly one of the worst places for it in the country, a hotspot. Ohio ranks fourth in the nation for cases of reported human trafficking. According to recent reports, Ohio is one of the worst in the nation for human trafficking. And Ohio has ranked as high as fifth among all states in total reported human trafficking cases. But all of this hype and fear didn't seem to add up for me. Like, why are things so much worse here? What data is there to back up these claims? I started looking into where this information was coming from. Where was the evidence? And what I found, after months of talking to survivors, researchers, and policymakers, was a much more complicated picture, and one that was steeped in misinformation. This is Trafficked from WYSO. I'm Lila Goldstein. I want to start things off by taking stock of what we do and don't know about how sex trafficking happens in the state. But first, I want you to meet someone. So I'll give you a look around. In the basement of a sober living house in Southern Ohio, Elizabeth Watkins' bedroom is a reflection of herself. You can tell this is my home, <laughs> like just by coming in my room. There's a mirror decorated with stickers from her job at Bob Evans, the flat screen TV she bought herself in front of her bed, and a wall of photos of her loved ones. So this picture means the world to me, and this is everything since I've been clean. I have friends and family. Watkins is 28 and has been sober for over two years. She identifies as a sex trafficking survivor, a word she has tattooed above her heart. But her story of being trafficked begins with her story of addiction. She started smoking marijuana and drinking at about 13. Around 15, she started using heroin. My habit became extreme extremely high. If I didn't have it, I was having seizures because I was so sick. She needed a way to come up with money. She'd seen how much other women and girls were able to make selling sex. So I did what I had to do. I ran into a guy, he offered me money for, you know, sexual activities. Then I realized how fast I could get money. She started posting ads on the website Backpage to sell sex. And then she says she met a man in a hotel room in Columbus. It was fun at first. He was cool to hang out with. He was chill. He was fun. He was giving me all the drugs to get high on. He built my trust. He made me feel safe and stuff like that. He promised her a better life with more money and easier access to drugs if she went to Detroit with him, she says. And when she got there, that's where her story started to change. Over time, she says she went from doing sex work for drug money to no longer having control over her own life. And that's when I learned how, what getting raped was. That's when I learned what really having nobody was in my life. Men were beating me up in hotel rooms. And this guy, if I would have tried to leave, he would have hurt me. He claimed me. I was his. 
Then she says one day police raided a hotel room she was in. She says she wasn't offered any help, but because she didn't have any warrants, the police let her go, and she came back to Columbus. She started selling sex on the street. She was in and out of jail, charged with soliciting and loitering. She says she often overdosed the day she left jail. But after years of not getting the support she needed, she says she got assigned a probation officer who changed her life. They offered me rehab for the first time. And I ran with it because that's all I wanted for years was guidance to get someone to guide me in the right direction. That's all I needed. Now that she's sober, she's able to spend time with her niece and nephew and has loving relationships with her housemates. She even started mentoring a young man in recovery. But the challenges are still mounting. Aside from dealing with the trauma of her experiences, she also has financial and legal problems. Her criminal record and fines, upwards of about $7,000, she says, have made it difficult to advance in her job or get a driver's license. Watkins' story reflects a lot of what experts know about how sex trafficking can happen. Megan Garrison served as the sexual assault program educator at YWCA Dayton. She says while viral conspiracy theories could have you believing traffickers are people who jump out of bushes. What really happens is it's an example of grooming. Someone you trust, someone you know and it happens over a long period of time before you're just in so deep that you cannot get out of it anymore. Traffickers usually know their victims, and they target those with vulnerabilities. People with histories of abuse, substance use issues, contact with the foster care or criminal justice systems. Also, people of color, LGBTQ people, immigrants, and people living in poverty. And while you may have seen posters about trafficking with images of chains or ropes, traffickers often use coercion or fraud to exploit their victims. Coercion is like basically manipulating someone into thinking that that's their only option. It doesn't necessarily mean by like violence or physical means. But there's still a lot we don't know about trafficking in the state. For instance, how common is human trafficking in Ohio? We really don't have really good, accurate, reliable estimates yet. Valerie Anderson is a professor at the School of Criminal Justice at the University of Cincinnati. Anyone that gives you some hard and fast you know, statistics about prevalence of human trafficking, I would tell anyone to take that with a grain of salt and be skeptical. Anderson has worked to nail down some of those numbers. She conducted a study identifying known victims of sex trafficking in youth and young adults in Ohio. For data mostly from 2014 to 2016, they found around 1,000 cases, an estimate she says is likely conservative. But that study is just a foundation, and researchers are dealing with agencies using different definitions, a lack of reporting, and reporting bias. Because even agencies who can identify victims may have misconceptions of what a victim of human trafficking looks like. When Watkins was in and out of jail, for example, she says she doesn't remember ever being asked if she was trafficked. I know there's definitely a lot of people who, you know, misunderstand it and stuff like that and don't understand it. But 
I think that's why I need to tell my story is so that people do get a better understanding on it. She knows her past doesn't define her, but she carries it with her, and it's made it harder to move ahead in her life and career. She wants employers, service providers, and police to treat survivors like human beings and be willing to help others like her. In the next episode, there are a lot of myths about trafficking. And then, of course, there's a satanic aspect where they torture these kids. It does happen. Find out how misinformation ends up harming survivors. That's next time on Trafficked from WYSO.